Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit CelebrationChurchLive.com. Amen. Uh, well, we're in the second part of a series we started last week with uh, called Short Stories, and we're just looking at some of the parables of Jesus, and so that's what this series is about. With that, looking at the truth that Jesus was communicating through those, and so Jesus used stories because stories um, help us to connect. We're able to remember the truths as we remember the story with a just narrative and plot line just connect with us so well. And when we know the story, we can remember the truth from the story. And so if you've got your Bible app, you've got your bulletin, then we've led off with this idea that we've been invited to be transformed by the truth of God's love for us. And one of the ways the truth is revealed is through the stories that Jesus used in his teaching. And we've looked at John chapter 8, verse 30 every week, and we see that Jesus uh, teaches, says that even as he spoke, many believed in him. And to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. And then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. I want us to be um, to make sure we get the progress that we see in what Jesus is saying right here. He says, first off, um, you have to be willing to hold to his teaching. And that means to make it our own. It's not that we have to live by it in a real strict uh, fashion. It's that we have to say, no, I choose what you have to say over what I have to say or what anybody else has to say. I'm holding on to your words highest and most. He says, and if we'll do that, then we'll really be his disciples. That means we'll be learning from him. If we choose his way, then we will genuinely be his disciples. So here we are. We've heard his teaching. We've said, hey, I'm going to hang on to that. That's just going to be mine. I'm going to make it my own. I'm genuinely his disciple. And then you'll know the truth. As we've said, I'm going to hold on to what Jesus has to say. Sometimes we have to say, God, I'm going to trust you and believe that you're going to reveal it to me. I'm hanging on to it. And then we'll know the truth. As we choose to be his disciple, he'll reveal the truth to us. And then the truth will set us free. Here's the thing I want to see is that you can be a genuine disciple and still have an area where you need to be set free. For so long, we as the church did a terrible job of understanding this teaching. We would see somebody, a church person, a believer, and they would have a struggle in their life. They would have a place they would need to be set free. And then we would judge them and say, well, you're not really a disciple because you have this struggle. That's not what Jesus said at all. You can be a genuine disciple and still have a place where you need to be set free because we're in process of being set free. So as a church family, we need to give room for for ourselves and one another to be able to be genuine disciples of Jesus. We're true disciples according to what he has to say and still growing in freedom and still growing in it because a lot of times we can begin to judge ourselves and say, man, I'm just not a very good Christian. I'm just not doing a very good job of this. If I was really a disciple of Jesus, then I wouldn't have this place that I need to be set free from. And that's not what Jesus said. He says, being a disciple is what will get you free. 
not you have to get free to be a disciple. And so we need to make sure we understand what Jesus is saying here clearly or we will get the cart before the horse and everything will be an absolute mess. We We hold on to his teachings and then we will be set free. But they were like, okay, but what does that mean? What does it mean to be set free? What is this going to look like? And guess what? Before Jesus started his earthly ministry, he gave us a glimpse. He gave us a little sneak peek into what his earthly ministry was going to be like. So he hadn't, he hadn't rolled out everything that was happening, but what went first was a little sneak peek, or in our day, it would be the movie trailer. So what we're about to look at in Luke chapter 4 is the movie trailer. Now, I'm one that I love movie trailers. I love the coming events. I love all of that stuff. When we go to the movies, I want to get there early enough to get my drink. I want to get my popcorn. I want to be in my seat so that I can see the movie trailers. That is part of the experience. My wife feels like that is a waste of time. Why do we go to the movies to watch commercials? I'm like, woman, this thing was cut, was built. It has the sound effects. It's supposed to be on that big screen. It's not the same thing as watching it on our TV. We got to watch it there. We got to see the whole thing. Got to see the movie trailers. Now, here's the problem with movie trailers. Every once in a while, you'll watch a movie trailer, and then you'll watch the movie and feel like you already saw it. Like, the movie trailer was the movie. That was it. They kind of let the whole thing out, the whole plot, especially if it's a comedy like every joke everything that was funny was in the trailer and like there ain't another funny thing in this movie and so but as we look at what at what Jesus did his sneak peek was showing us what we needed to be looking for because that's one of the cool things about trailers is you've already had some idea and then you instinctively start looking for those moments where does this fit in the plot line? Where does this fit in how this story unfolds? I've seen this little snippet. Where does it fit? And you begin, you begin to look for it. And it's honestly kind of fun. It's, it feels kind of cool, like you're an insider when all of a sudden you remember, oh yeah, I've already seen that. That's how that fits. Well, the trailer is given to invite you in to be able to come and to participate into the fullness of it. That's the whole point. As we're going to look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, he is showing us, he is inviting us in to look for these certain things in his ministry, that this is what his ministry is going to look like. So let's go ahead and see that Jesus was at the synagogue. He's there on the holy day. He's there on the Sabbath, the day of worship. And he stands up and he takes the the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He opens it. He finds this space and he reads this. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. So if we're going to begin to look at the full feature film of Jesus's ministry, the first thing we need to look is where's the spirit at work? See, that's the first little glimpse. The spirit of the Lord is on him. Jesus says, I'm not doing this by myself. The spirit of God is at work. If we're going to embrace the ministry of Jesus, if we're going to embrace what God has called us to do, we have to understand we're not going to do it by ourselves. We have to look for the spirit of God at work. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. There is a reason. There is a purpose. There is a calling there. 
and has anointed me to proclaim good news. When we look at the ministry of Jesus, when we look at what he's wanting to do in our lives, we need to look for good news. We need to look for him at work, turning things around, making things better, totally rewriting tragedies and turning them into what God has called them to be. We need to be looking for good news. That's what we need to be looking for when we see the ministry of Jesus. And it's good news to the poor. Now, this doesn't hit us the way it hit his audience. Now, they already knew this scripture. They already knew this understanding because Isaiah had been part around. But this thing that it was good news to the poor. Now, this is to a Jewish culture. This is to a Hebrew, the Israelite culture. And they understood that God is a blesser. That you follow God with your whole heart, that he'll bless you. And it's just over and over and over again. We don't necessarily follow God from a selfish reason to get blessed, but I'm just going to tell you, that's the way it works. You trust God, not that your life is trouble-free and without hardship, but when you look at the big picture, you go, wow, there's blessing there. You see it. And so, it says that, so when people were poor, people interpreted that they were poor because somehow there was some sort of sin in their life. That they were, if they were righteous, if they were doing the right types of things, they'd be blessed. So all of a sudden, there's this first act of ministry is going to the people they think are kind of the least deserving. These are the people who aren't right with God because if they were right with God, they wouldn't be in that station of life. And we need to see that God's spirit is at work to go to the people that we don't anticipate him working in. That is the first thing we see. And then he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Okay, the prisoners are people who got put into jail, into prison, because they did something their culture says, that's not acceptable. We don't want you in the general population. You're hurtful in some way, some choice you make on your own. We don't want that choice being made, and we've put you in prison. And so he says that God's spirit is at work to deal with things that people brought on themselves. So all of a sudden here is this place that Jesus wants to enter in and bring news, bring good news into the places where we've even brought, brought a bondage and prison to ourselves. But then also recovery of sight to the blind. We need to see that God wants to help us to see. And yes, we see over and over again that after Jesus read this, that he made blind eyes see over and over again. But the number one blindness that Jesus was there to deal with was spiritual blindness. Because there was an entire group of people that were looking at Messiah and couldn't see him. They could not recognize him. And he wants to come in and to help us to understand. So when we look for the ministry of Jesus in our life, we see the spirit of God at work. We see him going into places we don't think he would go. We see him restoring places where we think, no, I kind of brought that on myself. We see him helping us to see life the way we really need to see it. And then we see that he sets the oppressed free. When that is this place of bondage that life and other people have created for you. Prison, you put yourself in. Oppression happens to you. 
and all of a sudden now he's here to bring liberty to people who are oppressed when things happen and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to let you know that God is for you. If you look at the ministry of Jesus and you don't see good news and that God's for you, you're looking at it wrong. He says, this is the Cliff Notes version. This is the synopsis of what I'm about. If that's not your takeaway, that God is for you. We sang it today multiple times. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. Why? Because that is part of the core ministry of Jesus. It's for us to understand that this is the year of God's favor. So with this, we see in this little trailer, this little preview, that he's taking care of everything. He has handled it. And we see that God has done everything for us in the banquet. It's prepared. So a first place we see in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is speaking and he is teaching at church. And that makes sense. But now we're going to jump a few chapters and we're going to look at Luke chapter 14. And Jesus is teaching, but he is in that church. He's at a party. So all of a sudden we find Jesus being Jesus wherever he went. You know why Jesus could go to the party and not be infected by the party? Because Jesus was the same guy at church as he was at the party. You can be the same person at the party and it doesn't impact you. Then be at the party. Be an influence. But if you're not set free enough yet that all of a sudden the party begins to carry you in the wrong direction, don't go to the party. Don't go. Like what Jesus did, he went around and says, no, Jesus ministered to sinners. Jesus helped people to get free. He was the same no matter what environment he was in. So with that in mind, let's look at Luke chapter 14, verse 12. It says, and then Jesus said to the host of the party, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So we see the initial invitation list. He says, don't invite. Um, We're 2,000 plus years later in a very different culture, but yet our invitation list looks just like theirs do. You're gonna have a party, the first people you invite are your friends first people you invite you're like I want to hang out with these people these people we're gonna laugh together we're gonna have fun together we've got all our inside jokes we've got all our connections man this is this is gonna be fun if I can get these people here and then the next people we invite are our family and the people that we were born into and connected with and then even a handful of them that you just kind of feel obligated you're like man they find out I threw a party and they didn't get invited I'm gonna have to hear this at Thanksgiving all right come on I'd rather just invite you to the party and have you eat some of the food than than I have to hear you gripe at Thanksgiving. And so, and then there's that group of people. And then it wasn't your neighbors that it said. It said invite your rich neighbors. 
Folks, we're still do the same thing. Yeah, we'll invite those people. They, may, they might bring the good stuff to, to the party. Man, we're going to do a grill. They're going to be the ones that show up with the filet and the lobster and for the grill. And, and we got some hamburgers and some hot dogs. And so... So he says, you know, but our, the invite list looks just the same. It's the people we like, the people we feel obligated to, and the people we want to impress. All these years later, why? Because people are people. We're, we're people are people. And so he says, okay, don't go to that space. Instead, I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind oh my goodness, this starts to look like Luke chapter four. And Jesus said, I came to minister to these groups of people. And all of a sudden he says, these are the people when you try to do something good, I want you to be thinking about them too. All of a sudden now, it's, a, it's different. It can be one of the things of how sweet that Jesus came to minister to those who are in prison. You go minister to them, Jesus. Go minister to them, Jesus. I'll stay over here. Oh, Jesus, minister to to the poor. Jesus, go minister to those things. That's so sweet. I love my Jesus. He does that. But no, he's called us to do it. Oh, my goodness. It looks like the head wants the body to be where he's at. Oh my goodness, it looks like he wants us to function where he's at. He's actually said, when you begin to do something, you begin to have an idea, I want you to do it the way I want to do it. I want you, I've invited you in to do it my way, to minister to the poor, to minister to the crippled, to minister to the blind, to minister to the lame, to minister to the people that get neglected. All of a sudden here, he's teaching this guy to, and inviting him in to his own personal ministry and is reminded that you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So here they are at this party and Jesus begins to bring this teaching and even brings heaven into this space. And then somebody there at the table decided, okay, we're going to get spiritual. You know, I, I, can, I can have a spiritual conversation. Verse 15, it says, and then one of those at the table with him heard this and he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. He's like, man, that would be amazing is to be able to be there at that party, to be at that one, to be invited to that space. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Everything has been provided. It's all taken care of. So you and I, we get invited to a party. And the first question we ask is, well, what can I bring? Because we don't want to be that person that walks in and just says, where's the food? I'm here empty handed, but I'm here to participate. We just instinctively say, what can I bring? Can I bring a bag of ice? Can I bring some chips? Can I bring something? We just feel this compulsion that if we're going to participate, we need to contribute. And that's what sets us off sometimes from being able to say yes to everything he wants. Because sometimes we don't feel like we have anything to contribute. We're not in the mindset to contribute. We're just not ready to contribute. So you're like, no, I can't say yes to every invitation because I don't know what I'm going to have to bring. But the truth is, is he's provided it all. He just wants you. He just wants you. Because here's the cool thing. You give him you 
and everything you feel like ought to come out of you will naturally come out of you. You can't do it on your own. You have to say yes to the invitation first. And here's what's awesome is it's an open invitation, but there's still something that we need to do. And it's simply to say yes. Verse 18, it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. <laughs> he didn't even say, please excuse me. Like, Dude, you, you get it. <laughs> she ain't gonna let me have no fun. She ain't gonna let me go to a party. <laughs> See, problem is we met at a party. She don't trust me at parties. <laughs> I ain't come. <laughs> and so that we see in these excuses, we see, just like we see the same invite list all these years later, we see the same excuse list all of these years later. Sometimes just possessions and stuff can get in the way. Feeling some like that we need to go handle some things just gets in the way of us saying yes to God. Sometimes there's a place we're just making a living. The guy who said, I've got to go test five yoke of oxen, he was not about to go have fun. This guy was about to go work, but he had made an investment and he's like, I need to go get a return on this investment. I'm about to go work. And sometimes just the responsibilities of life can begin to get in the way of us saying yes to God. And then of course the last one, the, 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 the married guys, just relationships. Sometimes a relationship can get in the way of us saying yes to God all these years later. Sometimes the, the, our responsibilities, sometimes just our stuff, sometimes our relationships, they stop us from saying yes to stepping into everything God has for us. We talked about the parable of the sower last week. Let's reread verse 18 from Mark 4. It says, still others lack seed sown among thorns. Hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Jesus just reiterated that just now in this new parable of the party. The deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things come in and choked out the word. The word was the invitation to come. And it just did, was not able to receive it. But as the story moves forward, we see that Jesus is teaching us that the Father invites people that we think are typically left out. Verse 21, it says, and the servant came back and reported this, all the excuses. And then the owner of the house became angry and, and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, into the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. He didn't say, he didn't say that just let them know they're invited. No, you actually provide the transportation. Just go ahead and bring them. You go ahead and just remove all those excuses and you just get them there. Yes, sir, the servant said. What you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. And then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Now, if we don't understand culture, we think he said, go invite the rednecks, okay? Then he could go out to the country folk, bring, bring them in. 
No, that's not what he's saying at all. Uh, although the rednecks are welcome. God, Jesus loves rednecks. And so, but what he is saying here um, is that these people who are out in the, in the highways and in the country, you've heard the term highwaymen. And so we're these people who, and we're going to actually, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we're going to talk about these exact people that were out on the, the highways and would, would mug travelers, would rob travelers and, and take them of their stuff. And these aren't just the people who are down on their luck. These aren't just the people who are poor and lame and blind. There's another people who have been kind of kicked out of normal society, people who are not typically invited to the party. And that's the criminal element. That is the the less savory element of society. And the party, Jesus is saying, no, I want them invited too. I want them invited to go and compel them to come in. Encourage them to come in. He didn't say bring them because he knew you're about to get them into a fight. You don't go into the hood and just bring somebody to church. You can invite them to church and say, hey, we're going to have a barbecue. You might like it, but you don't go grab them and drag them to church. You're going to get shanked. And so he's like, just compel them to come in. And so, but here's the thing, is this is, you're, in, you're on the original invitation list and then you, you show up and then some of the poor and the blind and the lame, they show up to the party and you're like, well, this is awkward. This was not the party I thought I was saying yes to, but I get it, man. That's a little place of compassion begins to move. But then you find out that they invited the criminals those people you will keep at an arm's length, you like, you don't let your kids play with their kids? You're like, no. Um, all of a sudden now, the party feels a little different. All of a sudden it's like, hey host, you need to put the silverware away because that stuff's about to walk out. You need to get some plasticware. You need to lock up all the good stuff because I, you just invited these people, I, I know. And there's some, t- some times where we have to recognize that there's some places where, where God's inviting people that don't just maybe get overlooked, but people that we actually want nothing to do with. They get pushed aside, but God's invitation is to all. His invitation is to invite all of them in. Yes. Here is where we as church people need need to pause because we're here and we've said yes on some level is that we understand since Jesus' anointing is to change people, to minister to those who ended up in prison, to minister to the hurt and to the lame and to the broken, guess what happens? They move out of those groups all of a sudden now the prisoner gets set free, is, gets a new life, is now a part of group A instead of group C. All of a sudden the person who was blind and lame gets restored and healed and, and the hurt and the brokenness that made you want to pull away and not trust people, you begin to get restored and you begin to, and now you move into group A. We need to understand there's still a danger that sometimes we can feel drawn to God when we've been down on our luck and we can be, feel drawn to God when we have ended up doing some things we know we've hurt ourselves and hurt people. But once all of a sudden he's restored, there's a danger that now that life is good, we can go, oh, I'm going to put the, slow my relationship with God a little bit because things are pretty good. I just bought a new property. I just got some new equipment. 
I got some relationships in my life I really value. I don't have room for that anymore. We need to be mindful of the story, not just understanding God's grace reaches to all, but understand as he moves us from one group to the next, as he restores us and shifts us, that there's still danger to pull away. There's still danger to, to, to not embrace the invitation he has put out. See, rejecting the invitation is the only thing that keeps us from receiving all that has been provided. Verse 24 says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. He's not being vindictive. He's like, you rejected, I'm, you're not gonna get nothing. No, it's the, he's just saying, if you don't embrace the invitation, you don't get, come to the banquet. That's the only way to the banquet. There's not a back door to the banquet. There weren't little tickets. You can go buy one on StubHub and you can pay your way into it. There's not, you have to embrace the invitation. That is how, there's not another way. If you don't embrace his invitation, you do not connect with what he wants to give. First Peter 2, four through eight says, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also are like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to those, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Jesus is the stone. The invitation is to embrace Jesus. You either say yes and you build your life on what he has to say. You hold to his teachings. We're truly his disciples. We know the truth and we're set free. Or we reject it and we stumble over it. But you have to deal with Jesus. You either embrace him or you stumble over him. But the answer is, is found in how we deal with Jesus. See, the truth is, is God wants all. He's extended the invitation to all. And our bottom line is that every day you're invited to the banquet. Every day. Every day. And the thing is, is that some days we're better at saying yes than others. Some days the busyness of life, the strain of relationships, just the stuff of life get in the way of us saying yes. But what we need to understand is that banquet is prepared every day. And all we have to do is say yes. So I want to create a space right now for you to be able to say yes.
Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.